Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in High Fidelity. episode of Pop Health Week on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. And welcome everyone, I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show. And in the virtual studio today is my colleague, Fred Goldstein, principal co-host and co-founder here at Pop Health Week, as well as the balance of the Health Innovation Media team covering HIMSS 2019 including Nick Vanterhayden, MD, a.k.a. Dr. Nick, and perhaps, if we're lucky, Douglas Goldstein, also known as the E-Futurist. On today's show, we've dipped into a rather generous and comprehensive schedule of activities associated with the HIMSS production, and we'll selectively parse out some of those events that caught our attention for your consideration. For those of you who may not be familiar with HIMSS, the Health Information Management Systems Society. HIMSS will convene at uh, one of its venue sites, and this year that is the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando, Florida, from February 11th through the 15th. There are only a handful of venues in the country that can accommodate the scale of the HIMSS gathering. The full schedule, program activities, and anything you could possibly want to access, including some of the handouts that these programs are presenting can be found at www.himsconference.org. HIMSS features a robust series of topical tracks ranging from clinical informatics to clinical engagement and all points in between here. The, to disruptive care models to population health management and public health with many in between, including the consumerization of health track. For an organization whose genesis dates back to 1961 with roots in the hospital management industry and now tooled to the healthcare ecosystem writ large at global scale, the annual HINS gathering continues to be an important stop on the healthcare, health tech, and Health IT major conference circuit with some 40-plus thousand participants likely to make their way to Orlando for this uh, august gathering. So on today's show, we'll give you a preview. And first up will be Nick Vanderhayden. So, Dr. Nick, tell us what's uh, on your radar at HIMSS this year. Well, uh, thanks for uh, uh, hosting me and uh, setting the show up, uh, Greg. It's uh, good to join you. Uh, obviously, there's a lot to cover, um, and uh, I could try and take a leaf out of the uh, farmer advertising book and uh, talk at uh, uh, triple speed and cover everything, but I'm not going to do that. You'll be delighted to hear. Um, so what I thought I would do is focus on some of the areas of interest and uh, you know some of those are areas of my interest personally and some are areas that uh, have bubbled up to the top just based on search parameters um, <clears throat> and the top performing um, session for HIMSS uh, based on my uh, research was security 
or cybersecurity. Not surprising. Uh, I think there's a lot of focus on that and uh, teasing out some of the sessions that I thought were worthy. Um, I, I picked a few. So the first one <clears throat> that I would encourage people to go and view is uh, a remote access security hacking demo. So actually seeing this in practice, I think, is really important. I'm just delighted to find that uh, a white hat hacker is showing this. It's taking place on uh, Thursday. It's session 246. Um, and we'll essentially show you in virtual machines how this stuff works. Um, one of the things that I've found is the first time you see this and you see how easy it is, um, gives people a sense of uh, the challenge of securing our um, infrastructure. Uh, the second one that I thought was really intriguing was from uh, Johns Hopkins, where they're using artificial intelligence um, to essentially place uh, their privacy on autopilot. So they're using AI to actually screen all of their employees uh, for both re-education and privacy monitoring when they violate privacy policy. I'm really intrigued by that. I just have to say I'd like to see and hear uh, what they have to say. So a couple of sessions to pick from. Um, there's uh, certainly a lot more. There's uh, plenty on uh, preparedness and response uh, uh, sessions, but I thought those two really stood out to me. There was a couple of other areas that I thought were really intriguing. Um, before I get to the sort of next uh, larger sector, which was data science and analytics, and unfortunately a lot of those sessions were uh, because of the pre-conference symposium, which is an extra cost. And my feeling was that that was um, going to be a little bit of a stretch for many folks who maybe can't uh, uh, attend those sessions. So I looked for some other ones, um, and certainly ones that are keen uh, interest for me. And drug dependency and the opioid crisis is something that I have a, a deep passion around. And uh, there's a session on uh, Tuesday, 10.30, it's session number 11, uh, looking for risk drug-seeking behavior at the point of care. Um, and what was, uh, I, I think, significant about this is uh, they were using uh, dynamic uh, tools to try and project uh, patients at risk so that they could play some intervention ahead of time. I thought that was a, a, a great sort of concept, uh, certainly one we could learn from. Um, and then um, using machine learning to drive um, innovation-driven healthcare. Um, this is from Amazon, obviously a big player, new entrant. And quite honestly, I want to hear from Amazon. I want to hear what they're doing. They're talking about their machine learning and AI um, and how they see that being applied. Um, other areas for me that uh, I like to see is uh, other countries. So New Zealand is presenting. Um, uh, that's session 165 on Wednesday, 2.30. Um, and they're talking about machine learning um, over their electronic health records. So they've actually applied machine learning, um, large volumes of data to uncover patterns um, at the population level and then drive that down to the individual level. So a country that's got access to data is driving some of uh, news and uh, information. And then with my background in speech and AI, um, I was keen to see um, the use of rare events uh, in the narrative of EHR data. That's session 217 uh, on Thursday at 10 a.m. Um, where uh, the Brigham and Women's Hospital has uh, tried to use some of uh, the narrative to try and uh, identify some of these rare events that uh, are not being captured uh, or coded. 
voice assistant, um, session 164, uh, transforming the EHR interaction. I think everybody will want to see this using voice assistant. Can we imagine uh, that we don't have to document using uh, the keyboard? Uh, this is from Vanderbilt uh, University, and they're presenting uh, their EHR voice assistant uh, that accepts requests for inputs and translates voice into text, I think, using natural language processing. So, again, exciting opportunity. And then combining... Um, speech and uh, uh, social determinants of uh, health in one session and artificial intelligence. So you've, you've got an almost trifecta of exciting and interesting uh, insights. Uh, session 183 on Wednesday at 4 p.m. Uh, from Mount Sinai uh, Health Center where they've combined NLP with AI um, and uh, looking for SDOH factors and other important clinical data uh, that resides in the clinical notes. Um, I know that's buzzword bingo, but quite honestly, when br people bring all these things together, I think we start to see uh, real benefits and real sort of uh, progress. A um, couple of other uh, ones to sort of highlight again from the international standpoint, there's a session from Australia where they've got more access to genomics, so they're trying to incorporate genomics into their revolution. Uh, that's session 100 at 8.30 in the morning on Wednesday, um, looking to capitalize on all of the uh, genomics data that they've started to bring together. And then South Korea, um, who are looking at a, a precision medicine platform, so somewhere that we're all trying to get to. Um, they have a next-generation sequencing uh, panel testing for all their citizens, the first in the world, and they're creating clinical and genomic data sets uh, for large numbers of patients. I think that's going to be really interesting to see the output from that. So lots more that uh, we could talk about, but certainly those things stood out for me. Hopefully that uh, gives people some uh, areas to uh, go look at. Um, back over to you, Greg. So um, since we're in the Siri or Alexa generation in this voice-assisted A or AI-assisted voice in healthcare seems to be a growing sphere of interest. Is there any uh, sense uh, looking at some of the offerings that are in the schedule that this is becoming a greater sense of mind share, more interest in voice? Uh, is, it, is it growing, leveling? What do you see? So I, I'll put my prediction in for next year and say uh, in the same way that we saw cybersecurity and security being the top number of uh, presentations, I think we're going to see a rise in the uh, uh, voice, natural language processing and assistance. Not so much this year. I think there's still uh, work in progress. There's a number of companies that are emerging in that space um, and certainly some of the big players. So we're not seeing as much presentation, maybe on the floor and certainly... Um, you know, my old colleagues at Nuance, I know, have uh, some exciting uh, innovations. They certainly announced something uh, today. Uh, looking forward to seeing more about that um, uh, when we get to the show. Yeah, and there's more to say on on the Nuance uh, relationship. We'll be streaming live from HIMSS 2019 in the Nuance booth, and uh, we'll be sharing the dates and times of that uh, a little bit later. So thank you for that, Dr. Nick. Fred, what do you uh, what do you, what do you see in the schedule that's caught your eye? Yeah, first of all, let me just say, Nick, I thought that that list you went through was fantastic. A lot of cool technologies from all over the place, and your comment on voice is interesting because, similar to you, I did a search of uh, all of the terms 
whether they were in a booth or a presentation. And like you said, some of these things that you would have thought would have shown up as bigger are perhaps the next year's one, such as Voice, which showed up 79 times, or something like Precision Medicine, 84 times as compared to interoperability showing up 436 times. Even Population Health is a a big term now, still showing up 344 times. It was about the, the, the fifth or sixth highest on the list of the search analysis. What I'm most interested in, Hims, is uh, a, a couple areas. Is one is what's what's the government really looking to do? So we're going to hear from Secretary Azar and and uh, Administrator Seema Verma about interoperability and patient engagement and their push to continue to try to get people to connect up these systems. And it's interesting that they've sort of linked this whole idea of patient engagement with it and essentially saying that if you can't, you know, get get these things going, how does the patient become engaged? It's their data. They need to get this stuff flowing around to be used to their benefit. So it'll be interesting to hear what they're trying to do with that. And of course, as, as Greg, you and I have always known when we go to presentations from uh, Michael Levitt at Levitt Partners, former governor and secretary, he always has some really interesting things to say about value-based care, um, you know, and that whole move, the ACO movement, et cetera. And he'll be on a panel discussing, will consumer-directed exchange disrupt the healthcare marketplace? Uh, along with Karen DeSalvo and Anish Chopra. So that'll be an interesting one for me to listen to as I try to think through some of these policy decisions and things like that. When I get more down into the nuts and bolts, I've been over the years exploring wearables myself and uh, just did a, uh, a class on patient-reported outcomes and patient-generated health data. And there's a presentation coming up on wearable device data, signal or noise, that is session 197 on Thursday from 8.30 to 9.30. And uh, it's going to be put on uh, the, the speaker is Carl Poderak, MD, who's uh, from Mayo Clinic. So it'll be interesting to hear what he talks about. I know it's a big concern from physicians as to whether or not the, this data is going to they can use it. Is it what's its provenance? Is it is it reliable, et cetera? And I think he's going to delve into a lot of that, which is something that I, for one, am, am very interested in and, and would love to feed more of my data into the system so they could continue to help me with some of this this stuff. The other one from a population health approach um, is session 278, how to save costs beyond targeting the most costly patients. And this one is in Thursday afternoon. And typically in a pop health program, everybody or the majority of people, I'm going to target the top 5%. Well, one of the problems they don't recognize with that is about 50% of those people move to a lower cost the next year by doing nothing. They were a car wreck. They had their they had their big open heart surgery, and next year there's a lot lower cost, et cetera. So you really want to identify the rising risk in those individuals that may be moving up in the top 5%. This one's going to be presented by Nils Fisher, a senior analyst at Partners Connected Health, and Mariana Simons, who's a senior data scientist with Phillips Research in their chronic disease management department. So it should be a, a, an interesting one, and hopefully we'll get people to recognize their other data sets they need to look at and, uh, and show some of the new ways to analyze that to identify who might be moving into that so you don't just go after the typical top 5%. So those are, are really the, the key ones I'm focused on. Um, I thought it was interesting, and we talked about this a little before the show, and, and I'd love to get some of your comments, Nick and, and Greg. When I did the uh, search on the terms and what showed up a lot, Again, what didn't show up very highly were things like cost savings and social determinants of health. I think there were 54 results in a search of that. Social determinants of health was even lower with 39 results. But those are really key areas that we keep looking to technology to solve. 
And it, and do you think it's just because there's not an interest in solving it, or they haven't figured out how to do it yet, or why are we not seeing things like cost savings show up at a much higher rate? <laughs> well, I, I I've got to say, I mean, it, it's it's probably the the most disappointing thing to me when I looked at that list. Um, uh, was cost saving was so low in terms of presentations and. You know, I, I, I was left with a, a couple of sort of impressions from that. It's either uninteresting uh, or it's unimportant. And either of those are just bothersome to me because of the, um, you know, the, the terrible state of affairs that we're in. Um, but, you know, I'm often heard to say that, you know, healthcare is working as designed. It's not broken. It's working as a business and cost savings uh, you know, don't feature highly uh, in much of the sort of drivers that currently exist. And, you know, we have to find a way to fix that from a patient standpoint um, because we're all essentially becoming liable for this cost personally. Right. The triple aim is indeed a stretch that seems to challenge the industry even before you add the fourth aim of provider satisfaction. So it's a constant challenge. And uh, I would say maybe it's soft, too soft, Fred, uh, when you start thinking social determinants and how to incorporate them in essentially an acute care, sick care system focused uh, industry. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And Greg, so what did you find in the hymns list this year? So I um, started at the, uh, at the site, and I went into what they call the uh, the tracks, and I had mentioned that up front. But there are uh, 19. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. You know, twenty-five, twenty-six tracks, and the ones that caught my eye were the disruptive care models, and there were a few in there that I thought would be worth uh, calling out. The first one is the um, the Journey to Value-Based Care, a crash course for CMIOs, CHIOs, CMOs, and other physician leaders, because obviously we know physician leadership here is absolutely crucial, and there's far less involved than we need to be, but uh, this looks like a pretty solid course, and uh, the faculty are um, Samir uh, Badlani, MD, and uh, CHIO and System VP, Enterprise Data Management and Analytics at <clears throat> Sutter Health, um, Luke Webster, name we know, uh, Mark Pierce, and Howard Landa, who's VP of Clinical Informatics and EHR Records at Sutter Health. That looks pretty good, and that is uh, a lunch panel, 12 to 12.40, Sunday, February 10th, so... That Sounds like Amdis, is it? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, yeah, one of the pre-conference uh, sessions. Um, right. Uh, great, great uh, individuals. Those are all, uh, you know, keen participants in uh, in that whole space. I think that would be a fantastic session. Right. Absolutely. And then uh, let's see. On Tuesday, there is a CMIO roundtable reception sponsored by Meditech from 5 to 6 p.m. Tuesday, and that's in uh, the Valencia Ballroom D. 
And next under that uh, disruptive care models is uh, embracing risk, one CIN, that's clinically integrated networks, progressive value-based care success. In the description, it notes, uh, despite growing awareness of the importance of value-based care, uptake has been slow across the country. Value-based care can be daunting for many organizations, particularly those with multiple locations and EHRs, as the data that enables higher quality and reduced cost is not easily aggregated across the network. And this is going to be presented by a speaker, Fred. We we heard a little bit from at the Population Health Colloquium. That's David Lamarche, who's the uh, chief administrative officer of a Eastside Health Network, was a fully risk a global risk-bearing medical group in mm-hmm. Illinois. So that is, uh, <clears throat> let's see, 8.30 to 9.30 on Wednesday in the convention center. And then the other one in the disruptive track was uh, bundled payments, automation, and scaling. Uh, and this is presented by McKesson and ORC International. They're indicating that bundled payments will account for 17% of payments by 2021, and to scale to 17% and beyond will require new approaches that streamline administration of payments, automate dissemination of data across bundled participants, and that's critical, and provide some Mm -hmm. real-time status. So that looks interesting. And the presenters are Lynn Carroll, Chief of Strategy and Operations, at HS Blocks and Stephanie Perez, Associate Director at R3. I'm not familiar with them. So I I, um, I have another one that I want to highlight because it's uh, an area that we've talked about uh, certainly in the past. I haven't seen a lot of action, although I can tell you a personal story around this. So I, I've been fully sequenced. I I did it as part of a sort of um, process to understand what that would mean, what are the impacts. Um, you know, it, it's it's almost humorous to me uh, that I was uh, sequenced uh, by a digital sequence analyzer. Uh, that sequence was printed out, mailed to my physician, who scanned it into his system, and when I asked for a copy, he uh, hit print and handed me a printed copy of the scanned image of the digital original. But anyway, that's a a whole other story. But one of the things that I discovered as part of that, um, you can get this with partial exome or even a full genome. So, you know, even with one of the sort of uh, over-the-counter tests, you can discover uh, different drug sensitivities. Um, And it's very clear based on the scientific data that um, 95% of people have some variation in their genome that makes them uh, respond differently to some very common drugs, pretty much you know, the top list of commonly used drugs. And I happen to have two of those. So I'm a Plavix uh, super metabolizer, um, and I also happen to be, uh, I can't remember which way on the warfarin, but I'm, I either metabolize it very quickly or very slowly. Either way, if you give me a regular dose, um, it's either not going to work or it's going to cause significant problems. Um, and 
we should all be sort of starting to use that. The idea that the old concept of here, try this, come back in two weeks if it didn't work, it's just in this day and age seems almost a little bit preposterous. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So session 38, um, which uh, is coming from uh, Krista Bolin, uh, is looking at healthcare decisions for pharmacogenomics which is exactly this. And what they've done at Vera is uh, taken that information and importantly um, allowed for the application of that information at the point of care. That's hugely significant for patients. The idea that, you know, instead of A, having a really expensive drug like Plavix that might not work for you and testing it for, you know, a month only to discover that it doesn't work and you have to change it and you paid all this money, um, you, you can have a relatively inexpensive uh, gene sequencing test and determine whether this is applicable or not. I would encourage people to go see that. That's you know great insights on how you can apply that into your own uh, setting. No, totally agree. We're scratching the surface on that one. I was yeah. thinking while you were talking. I think a year ago or so, Eric Topol posted the, something on the impre- on imprecise medicine, and it showed what it took to get these drugs FDA approved, and it wasn't right. a pretty picture. <laughs> no, no, it's not. And, you know, that's the other thing. So I, I do know that there is a session, um, uh, uh, Bakul uh, Patel from the uh, FDA is presenting. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I don't know it off the top of my head, but... Um, Again, I would uh, spend the time, go listen to him. You know, he's uh, heavily invested in the whole digital uh, side of the FDA. Um, and, and I, you know, huge respect for them. They're, they're trying to adapt in a very challenging circumstance. They want to protect uh, society from snake oil and uh, uh, bad effects, um, uh, but also, you know, don't want to inhibit innovation um and i i think yep. they've done a, a a pretty good job to date uh i would encourage people to go listen to uh back and and hear what the uh, latest status is because he's always going to tell it how it is um always been yep. very impressed that session yep. by the way nick is the fda digital health software pre-certification program session 14 on tuesday at 10 30 should be good there you go yeah there you go so uh, let me just run down the remainders that I have. And, again, I'm focused on the uh, the disruptive care model track because I'm always curious about how technology is going to get um, integrated with existing workflows or organizational uh, design to improve quality and lower cost. So um, this one caught my attention. Wearable device data, signal, or noise, and it is by Carrie Potterack, MD, Medical Director of Applied Clinical Informatics at the Mayo Clinic Hospital. It sounds pretty interesting. Uh, wearable devices like activity trackers, smartphones, and smartwatches continually measure physiologic data, including steps, heart rate, sleep quality, etc., during everyday activities and are widely available. The data uh, is quite uh, soft there in terms of measuring impact. The other one is um, navigating, this is especially interesting on the bundle side, navigating multi-hospital episode-based care delivery. And this one's put on by um, the Florida-based Adventist Health System in, in collaboration with Premier. 
and they're focused on trying to really document mobility inside a uh, local healthcare market as well as constituent providers and how difficult it is really to sort of map, track, and account for the various players that would be involved under a bundled scenario. So this would be, I think, an interesting report for those so interested. Then uh, enabling digital health innovation, a real-world NHS journey. I think this would be a fascinating story, <clears throat> considering the commitment they've made at the NHS level. In, in, um, and it is 12 to 1, Tuesday, February 12th. So we're actually at the end of our show here. It went rather fast. Um, let, let me conclude. I want to thank uh, Nick and, and uh, Fred do want to make note of the fact that we've been broadcasting live from HIMSS for the last several years, last year with Click. This year we're going to co-locate in the Nuance booth, and we will be broadcasting two hours of live streaming audio content on Tuesday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., and then on Wednesday from 1 to 3 p.m. So do dial in. We're going to be streaming live at This Week in Health Innovation. And also on the Healthcare Now radio channel. So with that, I want to thank Nick and Fred again. This is Greg Masters, and we will see you in Orlando. Bye now.